coming up on this episode of Leap Takers. You know, if you think about it the other direction, if you think about like, what if you don't do things remotely? What if the world was the case that everybody would work in remote companies and the companies would be fully distributed and you would inverse it to like what used to be the standard? You would think you'd be insane to do that because why would you go to a specific place between specific times to then look at your screen all day and be breathing down your colleagues' necks. Why would you do that? Like the only advantage is that you can have lunch together. Beyond that, you get everything else when working remotely. You you would be forced to live in a particular place to work for a particular company. That doesn't make any sense. Hey everyone, welcome to the year 2021 and another episode of the Leap Takers podcast where I'm interviewing up-and-coming European entrepreneurs, investors and makers from various fields to retrace the journey of how they started their own projects and to discover the insights, tips, tricks and advice they gathered so that you too can take the leap. I am absolutely excited about today's episode and I have to honestly say that it's probably one of the interviews I've done so far that I've enjoyed the most and I'm the most proud of personally. So who is my guest today? I had the privilege to talk to Job van der Voort. Job is the CEO and one of the founders of Remote.com. Remote makes it possible to employ anyone and anywhere in the world. Their mission is to simplify how companies employ the best talent globally to help remote organizations do their best work and to overall help transform the world to a place with more equal access to employment opportunities and where you can work more flexibly and from anywhere. So Remote was probably also among the fastest growing startups globally in 2020 and is backed by some of the best venture capital investors in the world, such as Index Ventures, Sequoia, General Catalyst, Two Sigma and many more very accomplished investors and angel investors. Before founding Remote, Job worked as a neuroscientist and he was one of the very first engineers that joined GitLab. GitLab is today a really big name and one of the largest distributed companies in the world. And Job was the VP of product for several years before he decided to start remote.com. So you can probably see why I'm so excited about this episode. And we will discuss a variety of super interesting topics and advice for you listeners that I'm sure you will enjoy. For example, we discuss how Job entered the world of tech and startups, the advantages of remote work, second order effects of this whole remote first trend we're seeing, best practices of working remotely, the origin story and how he founded remote.com and his tips and advice for aspiring entrepreneurs and much more. So overall, I'm super excited for this year, for 2021, and I have big plans to do the show more frequently and to also provide more content and resources online. So not to miss anything, please subscribe to the podcast or the newsletter on the leaptakers.com website. And yeah, there's a lot of exciting guests coming. So I hope you keep listening to this show. One last thing before we get started, we recorded this episode at the end of November 2020. So just FYI as a reference of time, because some of the content in this conversation might refer to the time we recorded this. So now you have heard enough from me. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did with Job van der Voort, CEO and founder of remote.com. Hello Job, welcome to the Leap Takers podcast. It is really a pleasure to have you on the show today and to chat with you and to learn more about you and what you're building. Thanks Remo, happy to be here. 
Yeah, great. I am always very curious to start these interviews and these conversations with finding out a bit more about your background and, you know, how you got into entrepreneurship and how you got into tech as a person. So let's get started with that. Introduce yourself quickly and, you know, kind of where you're coming from and how you got into tech. Yeah. So yeah, right now I'm the CEO and co-founder of Remote. Before this, I was the VP of product at GitLab for five years. Before that, I did all sorts of things. My background starts in, I have a bachelor in neuropsychology, which led into a master in neuroscience, where I worked as a researcher for a number of years. And I was about to start my PhD studying how the brain processes information, which is, I was already doing that, but not in a PhD capacity. When I discovered Hacker News and I started to think, well, you know, a PhD program takes four years at least, usually longer, especially the place where I was working, which is very nice. So, and then after four years, four years getting paid almost nothing to work really, really hard. And then after four years, what I will end up with, with is title, but I'll be essentially be forced to start working somewhere else. If you want to have a good career in science, you have to move about. And then, you know, I'll be doing a postdoc, which is, you know, still not a really great position. And you know, it's, it's very short and, you know, let's say that I'm super successful and I, I, I have this amazing publication, then I'll end up as a principal investigator somewhere. And what I will do all day is write grant proposals and there still be like some sort of, you know, board of directors of the Institute where I'll be working that is, that are essentially my bosses. And so I worked, you know, many years, really, really hard. And like my career is basically based on the fact of whether I get to publish in a high impact journal and, you know, and like my money is fully dependent on external sources and it feels very limiting. Like other than working really hard on the science itself, it's very hard to control your own faith. And so I figured that's not really what I want because it will lead to a life of frustration. I'm a very impatient person and to have to wait so much and like, and then be lucky. I am a lucky person in general, I guess, if you look at my life, but yeah, that, I didn't really see that happening. So what I did is I left that place where I was doing science, which was in Lisbon, and tried to start my own company together with Marcelo, my current co-founder of Remote as well. But I had no experience in tech. And so I ran out of money really quick within four months or so. It was just enough essentially to pay, you know, my food and my rent <laughs> that I had saved. And so I, I was forced to find a job and I was already programming at the time and I released a bunch of iOS apps. And so I found a job as a programmer, but in the Netherlands, so I had to move back there. And I worked for nine months or so as a Rails engineer building uh, software for the Dutch government. And then I left that to join GitLab. And at the time, I did a whole bunch of other things. But yeah, that's uh, <laughs> my story, a little bit how it began in a nutshell. Yeah, I think that's a really great intro and also kind of where I wanted to go because I found it very interesting that you have this neuroscience background. And then, as you mentioned, you joined GitLab. And I think when you started at the company, there were just around five people. Could you tell me about how you, you know, found this company, how you came across this company and why you decided to join this? Yeah, it's not that glamorous. I was working together with Sid, the founder and CEO at the, at the company where I was an engineer. And so when he left that company to work on GitLab, he said, oh, yep, you should join me. And it took me a, a few months and then I left that company to, to join GitLab. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing else to it. It was okay. nice at the time because it was just an open source project and we were using it inside of that company to, you know, for, for whatever you use GitLab for. So, and it was not very, very, very good. It was like GitLab 5 point something, I think, or 4 point something mm -hmm. at the time. For the listeners who don't know what GitLab is, could you briefly explain what the company does? 
Yeah, uh, GitLab started out as a source control management platform, which is where you have all your code if you write code and you collaborate with other engineers. Nowadays, it's a very large suite of tools that allow you to not just host your code and collaborate on it, but also test it for all sorts of things. It also has very good project management tools and a million other things. It's, it's really quite impressive nowadays. Okay. So yeah, you were joining a GitLab. And did you know at the time that, you know, it's a fully remote company? Yeah, yeah, the company. Yeah. I mean, it was not really a company, right? So when I joined, yeah. it's when really the company started. And, you know, we were in, I think, four different countries. We, Dimitri, you started the open source project. He was living and he still is living in Ukraine. And so we were, Sid and I and Jakob were in the Netherlands. And then we had Marin in Serbia. So <laughs> it was not really a, like the a, a easy place where you could have an office to get there. And no, I preferred it. Like the place where I worked at the time. So I was living for... For a few months when I just moved to Nels, I was living in my parents. And then later I found a, an apartment close to my parents where my girlfriend, now wife, uh, also moved in. But I have to travel an hour and a half by train every day to get that, to that place of work. So switching from having to travel an hour and a half each way every single day to just working from wherever I wanted, which was home, <laughs> that was a really big upgrade in my life. So, and I never really understood why you had to be in the office, but you know, I was young, I didn't care very much, but yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. I think a lot of, a lot of people feel similarly. <laughs> yeah. And so it's very interesting that, you know, probably at the time it was not that usual or very uncommon that it was a fully distributed team i mean i think still today it's not that common but i don't know how when was that like 20 2013 2014 okay yeah yeah nowadays uh, i mean we we at, at remote we have a heavy bias towards seeing these kind of companies so we yeah. see it a lot and uh, you know it will only grow that that trend mm -hmm. but at the time yes it was very rare and it wasn't just the distributed thing it was just the fact that you would work remotely it was very weird for people and we often would have the conversation but how do you do things? Why? Like you sit at home all day? Isn't it boring? Aren't you alone? You know, it was, uh, yeah. it's funny looking back now. It was not that long ago, six mm -hmm. years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> six, seven years. Yeah. But the world can change a lot, I think, in, in six, seven years. Sometimes so, when you think back, what didn't exist back then and now feels like normal. Yeah, Quite a absolutely. lot of companies and tools. So, yeah. yeah. If you could summarize your time at GitLab before we move on, like, what was your role there? What were you working on at your time at GitLab? Yeah, I led product at GitLab. So I joined initially as like as a service engineer, which basically was support and, and everything else. And then I, I called myself product manager and then VP of product. Uh, and so I, was, I worked on the direction of the company. The things that we would build was my responsibility. So decide what it is that we're going to build and more importantly, what it is that we're not going to build. Because when you build a product like GitLab, a million people ask you for a million different features. And, you know, when you are building a, a very ambitious and complicated product, if you say yes to everything, even if you have the capacity to say yes to everything, you, you end up building a, a terrible, terrible system, which is very overly complex and bloated. And so we try to avoid that, which is, which is really, really difficult, especially when you have large enterprise customers. So yeah, everything related mm -hmm. to product, essentially. Yeah, I could imagine, I think the you know, the subtraction of, of features or not saying yes to everything must be really, really hard and deciding what's the best feature for the product overall. And I also saw that when you were at the company, it grew immensely from five to, I think, 450 employees. Yeah. How did you experience 
that like did you expect that at all in the beginning when you joined or <laughs> no. <laughs> no early on we were talking oh should we take venture capital or not and then got into y combinator and things quickly flipped but no how would i experience that yeah it was it was i don't know it's it's like it, it just happens to you right like it's it goes really really fast it, it was fun to see right because i remember thinking we had 11 employees or so we, we were like oh we're a real company right now you know what is the limit of this and then we had 40 and i was like wow it's getting really really big yeah but only once you get into the hundreds it's it's massive then you have a massive organization and yeah it's exciting you learn a lot you're forced to learn a lot and and to think a lot about you know how do things scale and how do they don't and what works and what don't and especially if you build a you know a distributed company there's not a lot of standards to follow or none in many cases so we had to invent a lot of things ourselves and so that was yeah it was exciting so you basically you invented you know kind of the guidelines for how to work remotely and i guess did you also build internal tools how to communicate or how you collaborate together or were there already tools around like you know today when you have all these collaboration tools yeah those tools have been around for years yeah. we, we we were very principled about using gitlab for a lot of things so we used our own tool that we would build mm -hmm. which would drive some of them prioritization as well but beyond that no we didn't build any internal tools tools already existed i think Zoom, when it's like started to get big and we migrated over to Zoom, we, we used everything else, everything under the sun before that. That, that. that made a quite significant difference because it's like the first one is really, really stable. But beyond that, no, the tools were already available mm -hmm. and they, they are still getting better. Absolutely. I think that's without question the case, but you know, the tools already exist and they have existed for a long time. I think Google mm -hmm. Docs early on was the most important one, which still is, I think, one of the best multiplayer apps if you compare it to other multiplayer apps. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I still really like uh, Google Docs as well, the whole Google suite of, of tools. It's, it's very good to work and collaborate together. Yeah. Yeah. So I think for me, you know, from an outside perspective, looking what you do now with remote, it must have been a very good experience to work in a remote first company and I want to chat a, a bit with you about this whole remote first way of work as well what do you see as the main advantages for employees and also for you know companies that operate that way to work fully remotely as a distributed team you know if you think about it the other direction if you think about like what if you don't do things remotely what if the world was the case that everybody would work in remote companies and the companies would be fully distributed and you would inverse it to like what used to be the standard, you would think you'd be insane to do that because why would you go to a specific place between specific times to then look at your screen all day and be breathing down your colleagues' necks? Why would you do that? Like the only advantage is that you can have lunch together. Beyond that, you get everything else when working remotely. You, you would be forced to live in a particular place to work for a particular company. That doesn't make any sense. And for employers, it doesn't make sense either because if you are distributed, you can, you know, your talent pool is massive, right? It's massive. It's millions and millions of people. And if you set an office in a particular place, then you can hire from the people that live close to the office. And that's it. Maybe people that are willing to move close to the office. I think if you look at it the other direction, it's just completely insane. And, 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 and that's why, you know, it's, you get, as an individual, you get such greater freedom. And as a business, you get access to so much more talent and, and happier people. And happy people, they produce great work. And it's not to say that it's not nice to be together or not nice to work together. 
but no one is saying that that's not allowed to do. Like you're still allowed to do that with your team or with people that are close. It's just that, you know, to force everybody to work from the same location, you're just hurting yourself. Yeah, I find this a really interesting way of looking at it, like in the inverse way. I never heard it, someone put it that way, but it totally makes sense. So I also, I, someone else told me that like as an employee, why would you go commute to an office, like you said, every day for an hour, half an hour, then sit at your desk, put on your noise canceling headphones that you don't hear your other yeah. people around. And then you leave again in the evening all the way back. It doesn't really make sense. So exactly. yeah, yeah, I think very well put. And I think another aspect as well, maybe I would be curious to get your perspective on that is that from my experience as like someone being 30 year old, uh, millennial, I would prefer to work for a remote first company. And I know a lot of friends who say, yeah, I would love to do that if I had the opportunity to, to work that way. I would even, you know, accept a lower salary if I could. And I think a lot of companies haven't caught up to that trend. So how do you see that from your perspective, like the, the, the willingness also from employees to work that way? Employers. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, you know, I think a lot of employees will go back to wanting to work from the office, but because of COVID, it's like the secret is out. And individuals know, employees know, you can actually just do your work remotely. And like, for sure, it will be nice to be back to the office if you are used to that, to see your colleagues and do those things that you were used to do. But you also know that it's not hard, like a hard requirement. And like, if your employer says, no, you can never work remotely, you know that there's plenty of other employers that are willing to. So it's a matter of time. It's a matter of time before, you know, all employers offer this essentially. And what you start to see, for example, in the Netherlands, they just introduced the law or there was already a law, but like they strengthened that law, which essentially states that unless there's like very heavy weighing reasons for an employer to require an employee to not work from home, they should be allowed to work from home or or anywhere else. And so, you know, that's that's it. Like that's the direction that we're headed. And yeah, there's plenty of people that are grumpy about it. But you know, people were also grumpy about carrying a phone in your pocket for years. And then, you know, do you know anyone that doesn't today? Yeah. <laughs> Good point. I was also reading during this pandemic and before as well that you know there might be some also second order consequences of this trend of working remotely. Mm -hmm. Some people were saying that, you know, since you can work from anywhere, it has a big impact on how cities are. And also that maybe locations that are now not as popular might be become certain hubs for certain type of people. And you base your location more on maybe lifestyle or where you want to live instead of where you have to work. So what is your view on, you know, second order effects of this whole remote trend? Yeah, I think a lot about it. You know, for one, I, think I wouldn't underestimate like how much people like to live in a city. You know, I have two small kids, but if it wasn't for them, I'd probably live in a, in a center of a city, New York or Amsterdam or London or something. So that's something that I think you shouldn't, should definitely not ignore. Like there's value beyond just your employer there. But yeah, I think it makes total sense. Like I think there's a lot of people that don't want to live in the location that they live because of their employer and they'll probably look for something else. Even if it's just to, you know, get, get more value out of your out of your money. Even if you earn less, right? Like if you live in a big city, you will get a paid a good salary, but like moving out of it at a lower salary is usually better for your lifestyle in that sense. So yeah, I, I, I think we will start to see that. I think it will take a long time, you know, sociological changes are very, very slow and like urban planning changes are also very, very slow. So like we, you should, 
respect the fact that that will take many years to come into effect. But I think what you're starting to see already is that like really uh, intense hotspots for particular things. For example, San Francisco rent prices have been dropping significantly over the past months and it will continue to do so. And it's not to say that, you know, it won't be the most expensive place on earth. No, it'll probably continue to be so. And for good reason, because there's an amazing amount of tech companies that are also not just moving out, but you know, things will start to even out a little bit more than they, they were before. And that's going to be interesting. There's still a lot of limitations on this as well. Things like the, what we deal with at remote, which is like, you know, compliance and like the ability of actually being able to work somewhere, like whether it's legal, how you pay taxes on that and, you know, how that's structured. And that will limit some of this change as well. But for sure, you're going to see, and especially in larger countries like the United States, where there's the disparity in prices is massive. Yeah, you're probably going to see a lot more people, for, for example, moving inland. Yeah, thanks for sharing your perspective here. That makes a lot of sense. And I got to ask you, since you are the remote guy, what kind of tips do you have or best practices to work remotely for, you know, listeners or, or people that maybe do it for the first time since this pandemic? Yeah, a million things. I think the most important thing, you have to take care of yourself, like your physical well-being first. Uh, and to do that, if you work remotely all day, you have to get an ergonomic setup. It hurts me to see people hunched over their laptop all day. It's not expensive to buy an external monitor. And usually your employer is willing to pay for that, even if they're not. It's like it's worth the $200 that, you know, a cheap monitor or, you know, a little bit more for a nicer monitor. So that's, that's like, that's step one. Just get a good setup that's ergonomic, a good chair. If you buy like one of those really expensive chairs, a Herman Miller, like the one I'm sitting on, which is an Aeron, it's extremely expensive, but they never break. You can, you'll use it for the rest of your life and then mm. your children will inherit it. That's how good they are. But even if it's not like the top of the line, like don't get a cheap chair. Don't sit mm. on like a kitchen table chair, you know, like that's, that's what I see often. Beyond that, try to separate work, your work area from the rest if you can especially if you have a family, you know, then, but even without that, it's good for the psychological distance. Set up a wide internet connection to your computer that you work with. It saves you a lot in latency, which is ultimately what kills or makes video chat. Yeah, and beyond that, yeah, I have a million little tips, but I, those are really the most important ones because it's all, it's like fundamentals. So you, once you get those right, everything beyond that becomes easier because at least you're not dealing with, you know, those connection issues that everybody was struggling with. You're not dealing with ergonomic issues that will physically hurt you. So mm -hmm. I think those are basics to nail. Can you say again the name of the chair? I didn't really catch the name. Oh, it's an Aeron. Aeron, A -E okay. Yeah, it's, okay. it's like, it's the chair for many years and now Herman Miller has a few more really 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 nice chairs to me I've never sat on a chair this comfortable <laughs> like it's ridiculous it's, it's ridiculous it's like it's far more expensive than any other chair I've ever owned but it's like $1,500 or something but it's also so worth it so yeah. and I, 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 when I bought it I think this one actually GitLab paid for. And then when I left, I had to pay for like the leftover value. <laughs> and when I bought it, I got my wife to sit on it because I was like, oh, we should order one for you as well. And she was like, no, I don't need it. I don't see that much. She sat on it and she was like, okay, sold. Buy another <laughs> one. And that's, that's how good they are. So yeah, it's wow. an excessive expense, but it's like yeah. a mattress. You know, if you work eight, day, eight hours a day, and you spend most of the day sitting, totally mm. worth it. Yeah, it's, it's an investment 
for a lifetime as, as you said it's like it lasts a really long time yeah yeah i don't even know some... exactly how much i paid anymore and i don't <laughs> i don't feel it but every day that i sit in a chair i'm like oh yeah this is this is the most comfortable chair to sit <laughs> very cool and I, I gotta ask like the listeners cannot see it but we are here seeing the videos of each other like you have a really nice lighting is this a special setup you have or like what is your tip around webcam usage etc well my tip is to just use whatever works so you know, if you have an external monitor, it's easier to just buy like one of those USB cameras and put it on top of your monitor because then you look straight ahead, which looks natural. So you don't have like a weird angle. You mostly look into into the camera, which is which makes it look nice as well. And it's easy because it's just plug it in and it works. What I have, I don't recommend, but if you want to go crazy, you can, which is I use a DSLR. So it's like a professional camera to take pictures. And I hooked that up with a cam link from Elgato to my Mac. And, and then you need to mount that on a thing which you mount to your desk or a tripod next to your desk. And then you can use it as a webcam. But I don't actually recommend it because it's a lot more fiddly, involves a lot of cables. It is slowly getting easier, but still it's like, it's significantly harder than anything else. So you still have to set up the whole tripod or like I have a desk clamp. So yeah, I don't actually recommend it, but it does for make for a very nice looking looking feed. Great. Yeah, I guess some listeners will, you know, might be interested in it. So <laughs> curious to hear any feedback of people now getting these chairs or changing their webcam setup. Yeah, if cool. you have links to your podcast, I'll send you a link to the whole setup. Yeah, we, I we'll, put everything yeah. in the show notes so yeah, people yeah. can check it out there as well. Great. So we were kind of stopping before when we talked about GitLab. So now I want to switch to find out a bit more about the origin story of Remote, the company you founded and working on now. So could you walk us through what happened when you left GitLab and then how you came up with the idea for Remote and kind of expand on, on that whole origin story? The idea for Remote came while I was working at GitLab. So we faced the problem that we're solving with Remote. And I'll, starting from the start, you know, with GitLab, we would just hire the best person we would find. So independent of where they would live. But then once you hire someone, you have to pay them. And if you treat someone like a full-time employee, you have to give them a full-time employment agreement with benefits. And the employment agreement has to be local to where they live. So you would need a Swiss employment agreement, even if you work for me, independent of where my business is. So with that... Every time we would hire someone where we never hired someone before, we would have to figure that out. And what we found, and like, and the only way to do this properly is to found an entity locally. So it means that if I want to hire you, I have to fund a Swiss company. And there I have to run Swiss payroll and I have to get the benefits that are local. And it's, and I have to comply with local labor laws. Uh, that's really hard. That's really complicated. And uh, we found that at GitLab, this is exactly the problem. And there are service providers that help you with that, but they were all terrible. They were expensive and they were really slow. They were hard to work with. And so we knew that this was a necessity to build something that does this better. It took us, so I, I knew that this was something I wanted to solve. I was working for at GitLab for five years. So I started to set up things to be able to build a company. And I figured I would just call it remote. That's the best name. If, and, and I would call it that if I could get remote.com, which I got. And so, uh, yeah, I, I worked on, on getting that. I joined up with Marcelo, who is one of my best friends. And uh, together we founded the company and uh, the rest is history. Yeah, it must not have been easy to get that domain name. <laughs> no, it, it was not easy. The, the people that were, there was a business running on remote.com before. 
And initially we started talking with them about taking it over, like running it for them. And over time, it just became a, a matter of how can we just acquire the domain and the assets that came with the previous company and build something new on top of that. So it took a while, but you know, if you really want something and you really fight for it, I think it works. And those those owners, uh, they're now small shareholders in remote as well. So I think it worked out really well for, for everybody involved. And after you founded the company, I believe in early 2019, how did you go about it? As you mentioned, it's probably a very legal-driven process to set up these entities in, in all different countries where you want to offer your services. How do you think about that? It seems like a huge problem to tackle. Yeah, and maybe to provide some context, because I think I actually didn't say what we actually do. So yeah. what we do is we, if you want to employ someone in a different country, so let's say you have a company in Swiss and you want to employ someone here in Portugal, what you can do is you can use remote for that. And what we do is we have entities in all these different countries and we employ people for you. And then we take care of payroll and benefits and anything else that comes with employing someone locally. And we just invoice you every month and you just treat the person as any other employee. And so to be able to do that, exactly as you said, we have to set up those entities. And, and so, yeah, starting out with this, the first thing we, we thought we are going to work with partners. So we're not going to set up our own entities. We're going to work with partners and they are going to help us locally. And once we started exploring that, we learned a few things. One is that the partners would be expensive and hard to work with. And with that, we would be re re recreating the problem that I faced earlier at GitLab, where you know these companies are hard to work with. And so we decided that the only way to do this well, and the only way to control the whole experience is to set up everything ourselves. And so, yeah, we started out with countries that we were comfortable with. I'm from the Netherlands originally. So there, Portugal, where both me and my co-founder lived at the time, we still live right now, and in a few other company, countries that seem obvious to us. Yeah, and that process is a matter of, you know, starting to talk with attorneys, starting to read into local labor laws, setting up the entities, opening bank accounts. There's a lot to it. It's really complicated and really, really expensive to do. But yeah, it's just a matter, you know, we had some money available, so use that and, and just go at it. It took us a long time to actually start. It took us until April this year before we could serve any customers at all. So yeah, it was quite a while. Mm -hmm. And I guess also this cost is the reason why you went down the route of venture capital again. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It was. It would have been impossible to go at this speed without venture capital. We would have been in a business that we would be probably doing reasonably well, but significantly smaller and not, you know, with a big global footprint. So yeah, uh, that was exactly the reason. Yeah, my co-founder and I, we had long conversations about this because we both worked in, you know, extremely well-funded venture capital funded uh, companies before, and it certainly has positives and negatives. But we saw this opportunity. We're like, do we? This is one to take. And so we should go as fast as possible here. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, that's, that's what we did. I guess, speaking of venture capital, first of all, congrats to your recent Series A fundraise in, in early November. So I, I truly have to say, you have like the creme de la creme of all the VCs on your cap table. So mm -hmm. that's very exciting for you. How was your experience fundraising for remote? Like, was there a lot of excitement with the VCs and or or was it still very hard to get the funding? No, I, I don't like to talk about it very much because it was not very hard. We we are a startup that does quite well in a very hot space. We already had really good like index who led this last round was already an investor in us. So yeah, there was obviously a lot of interest. And so it was not very like 
it's exciting and it's great that we have such great support and the investors are amazing. Like the names, they are, they are their names, but it's, it's not like there was something special about, I can't tell you an interesting story about how hard it was this round because <laughs> it honestly, like there's, there's a difficulty about doing it in itself and the negotiations and even the paperwork there's, you know, you learn a lot there. But it's not like we sweated away and we had, you know, hundreds and hundreds of calls with, with different investors. No, it, it was not that. Yeah, I had many calls with investors, but yeah, it was not. <laughs> if you, yeah, if you have the if you have the privilege that we had to raise from these kind of investors, then no, it's not. It's not because you barely get by. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm very happy for you. I think that's it's really amazing, as I mentioned, to to have this type of support from from these investors. So so very good job. And to learn a bit more as well about remote, like what is your typical customer, for example, like what type of businesses do you see using your services so far? Yeah, so the way we set up, we're basically agnostic to the kind of customer, right? So we can help any kind of business, small to large and any know any nature of business whatever it is that they do so the customers we have now are the ones that we happen to be known at so this is <laughs> the companies that our investors have invested in the companies that you know are ran by friends the companies that are in our space which is usually tech and such so we see a lot there and any size essentially mostly companies you know that are not enterprises yet but everything below that in size from you know tens to hundreds thousands of employees we we see coming by just not tens of thousands yet and but then beyond that we see actually quite a few interesting other kind of companies companies that make particular food items for example or make you know physical products that are very much not tech or not even direct to consumer like more traditional businesses so yeah we we see all of it and, and for us, it doesn't really matter because mm-hmm. you know, the, we are essentially set up in a way that we are agnostic to that. Yeah. And I also read on your website, you describe yourself almost as like the, the stripe for remote work or something like that. Uh, how do I have to imagine if I'm a company and I want to use your services? Can I just, you know, visit your website and kind of plug and play, kind of start employing someone over your platform or how does it work? Not yet, but by the end of the year, you will be. If you employing someone is, is complicated. And so what we found is that almost without exception, all our customers have questions for us about how to do that and how to, and like, what should I do and how much should I offer, et cetera. So yeah, it's, it, it's, it's good to still talk with us, but for, for a large degree, it's, it's, it's pretty quick to do. It's important to realize that if you employ someone, it, it's a serious thing. Like you should not take it lightly. And so making that like a full self-serve experience is extremely hard. And it is not something to play around that you can't, like if if you say, I'm going to employ someone anywhere, but particularly in, in European countries, we actually register the person with the taxes the moment we need to. And we we will have to start paying taxes and they will have to start paying taxes. And you cannot miss payments on those taxes. And it's, so yeah, it's serious business. It's not something that is easy to play with. So so fully self-serving and fully self-enrollment. We'll have it live this year, but it will also be extremely gated in the sense that if you want something custom, if you want something special, if you have questions about a contract, or you want a custom contract, you will have to talk to us because we need to protect our liabilities and everybody else's liabilities. And yeah, that's something that is very hard to automate or maybe something we might never be able to automate fully. I, I can only imagine that the complexity must be immense for that type of business. And I guess you said you wanted to be live in 30 countries until the end of the year. Is, is that still up to date? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's it will it will happen unless like one of the countries doesn't. I'm 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 just checking out our the status right now, so I can give you an up to date. Yeah, out of the ones that are, are are planned for the end of the year, only three are at risk of not making it. The rest is all. So yeah, we'll be either in twenty seven or twenty eight or or thirty thirty one. So yeah, yeah, we're we're getting there. Mm -hmm. And as you are also a fully distributed company, how many people are currently working and remote? Like, kind of that the listener gets an image of, of how the company looks like today. Three months ago, it was twenty seven people. Today, it's. 57 and oh. i think by the end of the year it will be 80 90 people oh we're, we're nice really yeah yeah i mean we get a bunch of venture capital money right so we can yeah. hire more people to serve our customers better and where do you see your own vision remote being in five years well i hope to be on path or ipoing in five years but like what really what we want to do as a business is we want to enable people from anywhere to have access to better opportunities and ultimately build wealth more sustainably. So, you know, even if you're born in the middle of nowhere and you choose to want to live there or you're forced to live there because maybe you have to take care of your loved ones, you should still be able to get an amazing job and like really well paid if you're very good at what you do. Now, where I, I live in the middle of nowhere, and of course, I'm an extremely bad example for this case, but it is possible to, you know, do these kind of jobs from from the middle of nowhere and so the only thing that we really see that is stopping people from doing it is what we're solving and so if we are everywhere as a business we can actually make a meaningful change and have a meaningful impact on the way people live their lives and the way people perform their jobs and the jobs that they get so that's that's the main goal and that's where we want to be and i hope in five years we can be in all countries in the world there are sanctions countries where we can never go but beyond that i think we, we will probably be in most countries that sounds super exciting and wishing you already best of luck and uh, <laughs> all success in the world for that, for that plan. And having you here as a guest, I'm also curious for me and also, of course, for the listeners, what would be your advice as like, a, I would say, accomplished founder, you worked in like now two really successful companies or one way to success for aspiring entrepreneurs or people that just started their, their company, their own startup. What would be your, you know, your main takeaway so your main advice for someone who, who tries to do the same oh that you have to be incredibly lucky that's really it you know i i'm i'm good at the things that i've been doing but i've also been fortunate enough to that my success or the, like me being good at things was in businesses or in ways that also worked out really really well right so at gitlab I, I thought I did a pretty good job, but it was not just me. It was also a good market to be in. And we were lucky in, in some ways. And, you know, there were many successful people there. So I was lucky personally that, you know, I, I got to lift along in, in the, on the rocket in that sense. And now with remote, you know, if it wasn't for this pandemic, we would do well as a business. I don't know if we would, would have raised 35 million. So I don't know. I would, I would just, one thing to never do is to compare yourself to other people because your situation will always be different. And I wouldn't necessarily aspire to be an entrepreneur by itself or, or for the fame or for the money. You should just follow what you do, what you think you want to do in life, right? Like that's, that's ultimately it. And for me, you know, I wanted to do science for a long time because I wanted to understand how the brain works. And I really enjoyed science, but I disliked the life around it. And I, I longed for like having more freedom and being my own boss. And like the best way to be your own boss is to be your own boss. 
And so that was a good way. But, you know, I think in another life, I would have been a very happy iOS developer, for example. I'm a big Apple geek and, and I'm, I'm a terrible programmer, but I can program. So, you know, maybe I would have done that and I would have maybe been just as happy or maybe heavier, maybe less, less, have a less stressful life. I don't know. I, I just, I feel like it's unfair to generalize my experiences to, to other people. My advice would be to try to follow, do things that you want to do and that you enjoy and try to build a life that you want to live. And, and yeah, the one thing I want to say though, is like, if you want to take risks, take them as early as possible in your career. The older you get, the harder it is to take risks. The more dependence you have, be that a partner, be that kids, or even just, you know, other people in your life that you have to or want to take care of, the younger you are, the easier it probably is to, to not have those situations and, and to take more risks. And, and I'm glad I took a lot of risks. I moved to cross countries, I started my own businesses and none of that, none of it like panned out in particular, but it did give me, you know, that, those experiences. And so I guess that. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's, it's very, very valuable um, to see your perspective. I think, thank you so much for that. I, I think you, you said it really well, like you should follow your passion and, and what you want to do. And a lot of people that I talk to or that I hear, they, you know, they want to work, maybe not yet, yeah, not start their own company, but they want to work for a company that has an impact and also that gives them, you know, flexibility where and how they work. And mm. my experiences or from what I see is that a lot of these jobs like that are remote friendly or that you can work from wherever, they're mainly for technical, for like for developers, etc. Do you think that also will change or do you like how maybe you have a, I, I no idea, but maybe you have an, a perspective on that. Do you think it will also become more common for non-technical people to, to work? In, it already is. Jobs? No, it already is. You know, there's a, there's a, a huge demand for engineers. So it might seem like that, but there's a greater demand for designers, for example. And now what we see is there's a massive demand for great marketers. So no, you know, and like salespeople have been working remotely for many years and that continues to be the case. And there's almost an endless demand for salespeople as well. Any successful business is looking for any sales kind of role, right? From For any level entry to very senior. So no, I think we're already there. If you if you look at like who we employ at remote, my thought was similar to yours that we would start out by just, you know, helping companies hire developers. But what turns out to be the case is that that's not true at all. We hire all over the board, all sorts of roles, and it's not necessarily majority engineers. That's we're way past that. So yeah, there are plenty of jobs. Like for now, there still is a shortage of remote jobs, like international remote jobs versus the amount of people that would like to, you know, work at these kind of companies. But it will change. Mm. It's a matter of time. And it's changing really, really, really fast. So if you if you really want a remote job, just keep looking for it. Like there's plenty of remote job boards. We have one, it's it's small, but there's many, many, many. Most of the existing job boards are also pivoting to, you know, showing remote jobs. So yeah, it's it's I'm not saying that it's not that it's easy to find a job like that. It's not. You still have to be very good and like match the company really well, but it is possible. Thanks for sharing that. I know we are short on time, but uh, still maybe let's quickly jump into a few uh, rapid fire questions before sure. we, we before we wrap up. So if I could just get your quick, you know, first thoughts about, about what you think, that would be great. So what's a book that had a big personal impact on your life on, and thinking? The man who mistook his wife for a hat. I think that's his hat, a hat for a wife. Yeah, no, the other way around. It's a book from Oliver Sacks, led me to study psychology and then neuroscience. Mm, I haven't heard of that one, but I will look it up and also put it in the show notes. 
What is your favorite remote work tool? You mentioned Google Docs before, but maybe some other tools you like. Figma, I think, is is my favorite. I think it's 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 the one where I feel like they nailed almost everything and like what they're missing, they're still adding. I think Notion is also really high on that list, but I think Notion still has a long way to go before it's like good, good. But Figma, I'm like, I mean, it's a designer's tool, but it's something if you build products, you use all the time. It's just so incredibly good. It's so mm-hmm. good. Yeah. Maybe just to dive really quick into Figma, like I know the tool, but maybe for the audience, could you tell them quickly what it is and what it makes so great? Yeah, so it's a it's a design tool, so you can make vector designs in it. So it's really good for like creating from, from like rough concepts of what your product is going to look like to high fidelity things or even marketing materials. And it it's why it's so good is because the multiplayer working together with multiple people is perfected in it, but it doesn't really lack in other aspects either. Like it performs really really well, and it the SVG tool like the vector tools are also really good. And then they have plugins, they have a giant plugin system, they have, you know, support for design systems. It's, it's just a really, really good tool. I'm happy the CEO of, of Figma is an investor in remote. So yeah. I, I, <laughs> I, got him to, I convinced him to do that as a, as a fanboy of his. Very cool. <laughs> awesome. If you could travel, you know, back in time, what advice would you tell your younger self when you just kind of started out in your career? Buy more Bitcoin, probably. Not much, you know. I, I, I've been been very fortunate um, in everything I do. I wouldn't, I wouldn't change much mm. about what I did. I, I, I had a very easy life. And last question: in the context of you know life and work, and also in relation to the name of this podcast, what does courage mean to you personally? Ah, uh, that's a good question. Choosing for yourself and not choosing to live up to someone's expectations. I think that is one of the most important things. For a long time, I thought about how other people would perceive me doing particular things, but letting go of that is extremely freeing and allows you to do whatever you want. So yeah, choosing choosing for, for, for yourself. And so, yeah, it, it helps you. It helped me not look up to you know, people that did extremely well in their lives or that are, for example, extremely rich, because if you stop, if you admit to yourself that that's not really what's making you happy and like you can actually choose to do something else, it will make your life a lot easier. So I guess that. Great. Well, you know, it was a pleasure talking to you. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the Leap Takers podcast. And maybe some last words from your side, you know, if there's anything you want to share with the audience or if uh, you want to tell them where they can find out more about remote feel free to do so now uh, yeah thanks very much well remote.com if you have anything for me you can find me on twitter at uh, jobvo j-o-b-v-o but beyond that yeah if you want to work for another business and that's in another co- uh, country and they are not necessarily hiring in your country you should tell them i will work through remote they'll take care of all the bureaucratic bullshit and then I can work for you. So please do that. And then if they are not cooperative, you send me an email. It's job at remote.com. Tell me this company does not want to hire me. Can you please help me? And I'll try to convince them. Wow. <laughs> Great. So yeah, listen, everyone do that. <laughs> yeah. So thank you so much again, Job, for taking your time. Really appreciate it. And it was an interesting conversation. Thanks, Simon. Hey, before you go, I just want to ask you for a very small favor. If you get any value out of this podcast, 
please quickly head over to the Apple Podcast Store or wherever you are listening to this and give the Leap Takers podcast a positive rating. It just takes 10 seconds. This would really help me to get more visible and I'll be able to continuously bring on great guests to this show. If you want to do even more, you can now easily donate something to support with the costs of this podcast. Just go to leaptakers.com and you see a coffee mug at the bottom of the page. If you click on it, you can donate a small amount, as much as you want, like buying me a coffee, which helps me to cover the costs of this podcast like hosting, editing tools, etc. Thank you so much. As always, if you have any feedback or want to get in touch, just shoot me a message. You can find all my contact info as well as all social channels on leaptakers.com. Thanks again for listening and until next time. Bye-bye.